This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. Today, I have a special guest with me, Pat Sweet, who's going to be my co-host for this one. And I'm really excited because this is the first in a very special six-episode Q&A series that we'll be doing on the Tech Podcast here, which will be in addition to our regular episodes that typically publish on Tuesday. These are going to publish on the first Friday of every month, starting in December of 2015. And this segment of the special series is brought to you by a special new sponsor of the show. And before we do get into this first Q&A segment of our show, I want to talk a little bit about the sponsor and recognize them. Our sponsor for this series is WPI's Foise School of Business. That's Worcester Polytechnic Institute. And they have a great program if you're thinking of getting an MBA, but you don't have one really in reach Consider WPI's Foise School of Business. It's top-notch business school integrated into WPI's world-class educational experience. With a distance education format that features six visits to campus per year, WPI's MBA program is one that any engineer really should consider. The program's been ranked a number one ranked part-time MBA degree in the Northeast, according to Business Week, since 2007. And just so you know how I kind of ran into WPI and how I got to know them a bit was I did a webinar for their students not too long ago. And after the webinar, there was an informational segment about the program. And I stayed on the phone for that. I listened to a gentleman named Mark Falenz who spoke about the program in detail. It was very interesting to me. I really like what they have to offer. So I asked Mark if they considered doing this series with us because I thought, number one, we want to answer our listeners' questions. And number two, I'd love to get our listeners exposure to a potential program like this because our listeners are always asking about MBA options. And the other nice thing about this series is five of the shows will be Q&A shows, but one of the shows will be Mark, who actually is going to come on the show. Mark's an engineer who got an MBA and now works with the MBA program at WPI. And he's going to talk about an MBA in general, what it is, how it can help you as an engineer and really dig into it. And that's an episode I think that we need on the Engineering Career Coach podcast. All right. So now let me give you a quote that kind of ties into some of the questions we're going to answer here for you in the next segment. And then Pat and I will jump into the questions. The quote is from Christopher Gurgin and Greg Vanarek. It is all too easy to speed through life with our eyes focused only on the road ahead. The challenge is scanning the horizon from time to time to determine where we are actually headed. All right, now it's time for the main segment of our show today. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're doing a Q&A segment here. So we're going to answer your listener questions today. And we're just thrilled to be able to do this. We're finally getting to the point with the podcast where we're getting enough questions to create episodes out of it. And so these are really some of our favorite episodes. And before we dive in here, I'm going to introduce you here to our guest host, Pat Sweet of engineeringandleadership.com. It's great to have Pat on board. Pat and I have known each other for a while now, really through both trying to serve engineers online and we work together wherever we can. So Pat is an engineer, he's a product manager, entrepreneur, 
MBA student and now a father, which we were just talking about a few minutes ago. So that's probably harder than any engineering project, but he's, uh, but it sounds like it's going well. Pat, welcome aboard. Thanks so much, Anthony. I'm super excited to be here. And, and you're probably right. Parenthood is definitely, well, I tell you, I'm looking forward to the break that returning to engineering <laughs> will be. That's <laughs> the end of my parental leave. So real quick, Pat, before we jump in, just so the listeners get a little bit more of a feel for you. And Pat's been on the show a few times. So if, if you've been a long time listener, you might be familiar with Pat, but just tell them a little bit about kind of your website and some of the stuff you do, because I think the site is great. It's filled with resources. Maybe you could just give them a quick kind of preview. Absolutely. Engineeringleadership.com is my home for my ideas, my experience, um, having to do with engineering, but but not just engineering, kind of the softer side, the business side of engineering. So I get into leadership as it pertains to engineers and management, productivity, the design process, as opposed to second order differential equations, right? You spend enough time in school learning about that kind of thing. What I found was that there wasn't that much in the way of resources for the softer side, for the professional development side. So that's what engineeringandleadership.com is all about. And very recently, I launched a podcast, a sister podcast, also called Engineering and Leadership. It's the, the Engineering and Leadership podcast. You can find it on, on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. I'm sure Anthony will put a, a link in the show notes. But again, uh, it's the exact same topics, just delivered in a new way. It's brand new. It's already gained a bit of traction. So I'm really, really excited about it and excited to, I love podcasting. So I love helping Anthony out with these podcasts. I think it's a great way to, to connect with people in, in a way that's a bit, it's a bit more intimate than just reading words on a page. So that's very, very exciting for me. Awesome. Congrats on the podcast and, and everything you're doing. And we're certainly going to link to Pat's podcast in the show notes. And one other thing that you can check out that was really great was back on our podcast here, the Engineering Career Coach, episode 64. Pat was a speaker at our Engineering Career Summit last year in DC, and we recorded his audio and we played it on that episode. And we got a tremendous amount of really positive feedback and just talking about engineering leadership, basically, and a lot of the stuff that he talked, different models of engineering leadership. So we'll link to that as well in the show notes, and you can check out Pat there. All right, so let's dive right in and get right to your questions. And the first question is from Craig from Washington. Hello, my name is Craig. I'm a quality engineer with six years experience in process and quality engineering within manufacturing. My question is, what advice do you have for entering the mechanical engineering field without an ME degree? I have technical skills and some ME project experience, but my education is business management with some basic ME courses as electives. What limitations or career plateaus would result from not having a formal ME degree? Thank you. All right. So this is probably a better question for Pat. And before I turn it to him, just two quick points that I'll make from my perspective is, First thing I would recommend is find a mentor, meaning someone in the mechanical engineering field that you can get some advice from that's been there for a while that might be helpful for you. And the second thing I would say is the credentials are obviously important. However, if you can figure out a way that you can add value based on your previous experience in the mechanical engineering industry, and then you can get some of the credentials you need, I think that's an angle to take. You know, it's something fresh, something new. You came from a different industry, different perspective, Craig, and that might give you kind of a different way to angle yourself into the industry. Well, I think that's great advice, Anthony. And from my perspective, what I've seen in my own career with working with a number of different engineers and a number of different disciplines is 
The unfortunate truth is that without formal training, it can be really hard to get yourself into a new discipline of engineering. Like you, you may be able to do odd jobs, but without that formal training, you may find that someone else always has to check your work, which that in and of itself can be career limiting. In Canada, for example, and I, I know the rules are a bit different in the States and in other jurisdictions, but in Canada, you can't even work as a professional engineer outside of the discipline that you took in engineering mm. school. So as an electrical guy, I can't sign off on any drawings that are mechanical or structural. So depending on the jurisdiction that you work in, that in and of itself might be a limitation. Even if you did have all the skills and all the knowledge without having the, the formal piece of paper, that in and of itself might be an issue. The other thing that occurred to me when I read the question, Anthony, is that I know for me, one of the things that I find I love about engineering is, is really knowing the material, really owning it. I get a lot of, a lot of pleasure out of practicing my profession and applying my expertise. And something I would ask about, you know, how confident is he in his mechanical engineering skills? You may have an interest in mechanical engineering, but if you don't really have that core knowledge, it could be tough to just to do a good job. And what I've found in my experience is that if you're in a situation, if you're in a role where you can't really excel, it can be really tough to feel good about your work, to excel. And that can also be career limiting. There's a really good book out there from a guy named Tom Rath called Strengths Finder. Strengths Finder 2.0, I guess, is the, the latest edition. Anyway, the, the point that he makes in the book is that people who are able to apply their skills and their strengths in their work end up doing much, much better in life. They're happier. They're more successful. They just have a better life situation. So what I would say here is if you don't have the formal background in mechanical engineering, I got to wonder if that falls within your, your core skill set, if it's really a strength of yours. That's a great, great point, Pat. And I guess a couple of things there. First of all, I didn't mention that Pat is from and resides in Canada, which actually I'm really happy about that because now we have two countries' perspectives here on these questions, which is helpful right, in, in right. some of these respects because obviously these listeners are coming from all over. But the second thing I'm glad you talked about too is the Strength Finder. I, honestly, I've heard that a million times about that book, so many good things about it, and we've identified it as a book that we want to read with the entire team at the Engineering Career Coach. We want to do the take the assessment and, and utilize it. But it's, it's just a great point, you know, build on your strengths. I mean, I think a lot of people maybe focus a lot on the weak, a little bit more on their weaknesses than on their strengths, and then that could set you back a bit. So it's great points. And, and in, in the United States, for those of you listening that aren't aware, you get a professional engineering license and you can practice pretty much any type of engineering as, you know, it's, it's an ethical code. So you have to practice only what you're knowledgeable in. So I think there's benefits, but then there's also things that can be scary about that. So it's interesting to hear the the Canadian perspective there and, and the two different perspectives and kind of goes into, you know, another thought of just understanding also, if you're going to go out into one of these different disciplines, what your responsibilities are, what your capabilities and flexibility is, depending on the guidelines. All right. Next one is from Lauren from Edinburgh, a recent graduate. Hi, Anthony. I'll be graduating with my master's in science and geotechnical engineering here in the UK in September 2016 at the age of 25. My main goal after graduating is to focus on career progression as much as possible. How long would it take for a recent graduate to become a senior slash principal engineer? Thank you. All right, Lauren, I'll take a quick shot at this one here. 
first of all, congratulations and great work. It's it's certainly not easy to get an undergraduate engineering degree. Yeah, I that's think, huge. That's great. I think, I think we're all on the same page there. It's a lot of late nights yeah. and a lot of nights that you're not going to the bar with everyone else. So, <laughs> so congrats on that. Thanks for sending in your question. And I'll try to answer or give you some advice. Uh, this answer is completely variable depending on about a million different things like the company you work for, the industry you're in, probably the country you're in, the economy, so many things. But a couple things I will mention, and if you're a listener to the podcast, you probably heard some of this stuff before, but the one thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to build those skills that Pat was talking about at the beginning of the show, the skills that can add on to your technical skills. I used to call them soft skills. I like to call them more core skills now, communication, network and build relationships, develop your leadership abilities, your speaking abilities. That's going to be absolutely critical if you want to have rapid career progression as an engineer. But on the other hand, especially in the geotechnical world, you will need to be have a good technical foundation. So make sure that you have a technical foundation and you build those other skills. And the last point before I kick it over Pat is... Find someone in, in your field, in your location that's a partner, principal, and ask them, basically, you know, what does it take? What's the path look like? That's probably one of the best ways you could do it. Pat, you have anything here? I think the advice you're giving is perfect, Anthony. And, and I think the big take-home message for me was similar to what you said is it's really hard to answer this question because your progression through your career is entirely dependent on the industry you find yourself in and even within an industry, the organization you find yourself in. I look back on my career and the first job that I held, the first technical job that I held was in a startup company where I was the engineer. I was a co-op student and I was the engineer. <laughs> so it really depends on where you find yourself. That's what's going to dictate how you go about progressing. And from my perspective, what I would advise is that you find work that you're really interested in doing now and in an industry and in a company that you're interested in working for now. Don't sweat how you're going to become a partner or a principal engineer quite yet. Get yourself in to an organization and then figure that organization out. How does that organization view success? What's it take to excel in that particular organization? And while there are a lot of things that will apply to any organization, just like what Anthony was talking about, your core skills. Developing yourself as a leader is never going to hurt you. But there are some things that, that can really help in one organization that might not matter so much in another. The other thing that I would say is that once you become employed, once you find yourself in a given company, you may realize that there are positions available, there are options available to you that you'd never even considered before. The job that I have right now and the company that I work for, I didn't even know the job existed last year. And it was an opportunity for me to move up in the organization that had I not been in the organization, I wouldn't have even known that it was a path that I could have taken towards career progression. I would say one of my father's favorite sayings growing up was, Pat, you have to take things one miracle at a time. So get yourself in first and then take it from there. Yeah. And one last thing I'll mention, Lauren, is we did an episode, episode 81, if you go to the Engineering Career Coach website and you could just type in the search bar, episode 81 or become a partner. It was called uh, Questions You Must Ask If You Want to Become a Partner in an Engineering Firm. We had Jonathan Volkel on, who's a consultant that works with engineering companies. And it was pretty interesting stuff. It's probably more high level, like when you actually get to the partnership negotiation and what goes into it. 
but it's certainly something, there were some things in that episode that talked about questions you should be asking your company now about that. So I'll, we'll link to that in the show notes and I, I would recommend that as well. All right, next one here is Alyssa from San Francisco and Alyssa is one of our uh, community members. So it's good to hear from her here. Uh, my name is Alyssa. I'm a structural engineering graduate with a BS and one year of residential design experience in San Francisco, California. I've been with my current firm for a year now, and I have a great job offer for my ideal firm in downtown San Francisco. My issue is that the base offer is low, about $5,000 lower than the average market value for someone in my area with the same experience and only a 15% increase from what I'm currently making. I am very interested in the job, but would like to negotiate a better salary. Do you have any advice or references podcast that you can recommend for negotiating, maybe even specific to engineering positions? Any tips would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. All right, Pat, I'll let you uh, take a stab at this one. Sure. And Alyssa, congratulations. Uh, Anthony, it seems to me like the people who are getting their questions on the podcast are just, they're crushing it. Yeah. Everyone's doing really, really well. This is awesome. Yeah. People are graduating and getting job offers. It's huge. Yep. Listen, Alyssa, I guess first and foremost, you're in a great situation. You've got a job and you've got a job offer. That's quite a bit more than what a lot of engineers in industry have going for them. I've had similar kind of experience with this as well. I received a job offer from a killer company. It was a great job, but I knew that the salary they were offering was below what, what would be expected given market conditions. So what I did, the way I approached that situation, as I said, listen, I'm really excited about this job. I'm really excited about this company. I am thrilled that you've presented me with this opportunity to work together. And I said, unfortunately, the specifics of the job offer aren't exactly, aren't ideal, and, and I'm not able to accept it under the current configuration, but I'm sure we can come together and come up with something that would be mutually acceptable. And it worked. I don't know for sure how the employer viewed my rejecting the original offer, but I approached it from a space of, I want to make this work. It wasn't I'm going to kick this back at you. No, forget it. You're, you're treating me like dirt. It was, this looks great. I think there's a huge opportunity here. Let's try and make this work. The other thing I would say is that you've got an opportunity here to make 15% more than what you currently do, doing a job you would rather do in a company you would rather work for. If things don't work out in terms of being able to negotiate a higher salary, my advice would be to heck with it. Just go for it. Take the job. You see, in my experience, what's more important than the salary you make is the work you do. People end up being much more satisfied with life in general when they're doing good work for a good company, when they're doing things that they find meaningful. Early in my career, I took a 10% pay cut to move from one organization to another where I felt like the opportunity for advancement was better, that professional development would be better. And, and yeah, it was, it was hard to take the pay cut and I had to eliminate certain expenses from my life, but it worked out and I was able to advance myself professionally. And what I found was that I thrived in that environment and that led to raises early when I started with this company. And I made up that 10% within a year or a year and a half. And then four years into my work with that company, I was making 50% more than what I had left in the company before. So this is an opportunity for you. And it's not even that bad. You will be making 15% more than you do already. So heck, I, I think you're in the driver's seat. I think life is looking pretty good. 
What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, I'd agree with Pat. I two things I'll add is, I mean, I agree. Fifteen percent is great. I mean, listen, you're, you're just out of school realistically. I mean, it's a year out, so to get a fifteen percent raise is amazing. Which I congratulate you on that. But here's the deal: if you want to try to get more, I'm not going to fault you for that either. I, I understand where you're coming from. You don't get to move companies a lot. Hopefully, you'll be here for a while, so you want to maximize your return. And if you're going to do that, what you've got to do is you've got to explain to them what value are you bringing to the table that's going to justify another, you know, 5K or 5% or whatever it is you're looking for. So go in there with a plan and, you know, before you call them or before you go in there, just say, listen, these are, this is what differentiates me in my own opinion from other engineers at one year out. I've worked on XYZ types of projects. I've got certain skills that other people don't have. So I'm going to bring this to the table and say, listen... I love the offer. I love your company. I'm really excited about working with you. That being said, I think I have, based on my current salary, based on my experience, my skill sets, I think that I'm worth this much. And I'm going to ask you if I, you know, if you would consider going up to this much and see what they say. Worst case that can happen is most likely they'll say, no, we're going to stick with where we're at, or they'll meet you and then you can take the job. And I think the other thing to take into account is, and Pat said this as well, is the value of working for a good company and getting good experience at the age that you're at. Because right now, you need to be a sponge. You need to soak up all the technical knowledge. You need to develop any of those core skills we talked about. And the critical aspect is that you're in a good position, a good company surrounded by good people to do that. So if this company is that company, then it's worth a heck of a lot more than whatever they're going to pay you right now to get that experience and to get a good foundation under you in your career in general. Yeah, totally. So that's worth a ton, an absolute ton. I can't even put a number on that. So just keep that in mind. As far as other negotiating tips, or I don't have any that come to mind off like books or anything like that right now. But what I will say is that is something that I'd like to try to get somebody on the podcast to talk about. So we will look you know what? Now that it comes to mind, there is one really good podcast episode that I heard of the Art of Charm podcast on negotiating. I will find it and I will put it in the show notes for this show, which I'll, I'll mention to you at the end of the episode here. So we got two questions left to go here and then we'll do one more question in the closing segment. And the last question is about dream job versus reality. It's an interesting question. So we'll do that in the take action segment. So next one is from Daryl from Oregon, a recent graduate. I've been with a casting company for my entire career so far, four years. My main duties for this job are design tasks using CAD and measurement verification for parts we have or parts we want to reverse engineer. There are times I encounter issues that I've encountered while in school, but for the life of me, I can't remember how I solved them, whether they be certain calculations or processes. This really drags down my confidence level despite earning my degree and being with the company for multiple years. You may have touched on this before, but do you have any tips on boosting the confidence level that I once had? Well, what I would say to you, Daryl, is it's understandable as engineers, there's a lot of stuff to remember. There's a lot of things you're working on. It's hard to remember every single thing. So a couple of recommendations I'll have for you is keep some kind of binder, file, Evernote note, whatever it is, of things that you think are important, like a problem that you solved, an equation that you used, a reference that you referenced, the person that you spoke to. So you can access that again, if you come up with the same type of problem, maybe even listed by problems or projects or locations or whatever the case may be, that, that might be helpful for you. Kind of like a swipe file for your career on the technical side. That might also boost your confidence a bit, knowing you have that. The other thing that I would recommend is to try to get up in front of a room and present 
which I know doesn't totally sound related to what you're doing, but from what I know, the fastest way to build your confidence is to stand up in front of people and just talk about anything, present, present ideas, join a Toastmasters club in your local community. Speaking really boosts your confidence and it's going to help you regardless of what, where you're lacking that confidence. I found that to be the truth for myself and for other engineers that I've helped. And the last point I'll share is just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, don't slow down. Don't be flustered. Just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. I think over time, four years out in the big picture is not a long time. So just keep doing it and you're going to get better and better. Pat? What I would say to Daryl is welcome to the club. Engineering is, is a lot like a language. If you don't use it, you lose it. And that's true for certain design problems and certain technical skills, certain formulas. If you don't use it for even a couple of years, it's very easy for the cobwebs to gather. So don't beat yourself up for not remembering everything you learned in school. I certainly don't. It atrophies, right? Don't get too down on yourself for being in this situation. One of the things that I'd recommend is if you notice there's a particular area that you really, you feel like you'd like to bone up, you'd like to, to be stronger and technically, why not take continuing education courses? You can go to your local college or university. Often these places will let you audit courses. So you're not really enrolling, like profs aren't necessarily grading your papers or whatever, but you can still sit in on the course and participate. And it's often much cheaper to do it that way. And there are education providers online that you can use too. One of the websites that I've used quite a bit is pdhengineer.com, PDH for Professional Development Hour. And Coursera has free online courses. MIT has a bunch of free online technical courses. So go for it. Even if it feels silly to relearn stuff you've learned once, maybe you need a refresher. The other thing that I do is I, I buy books. I, I'll buy textbooks and handbooks just to have a reference to help me get through those funny technical things that for whatever reason escape you. That's great. And I hope, Daryl, that helps you. And just keep building your confidence and keep doing. That's the best thing I can tell you is just keep doing because I think as soon as you let the confidence hold you back, that's when it's getting the most of you and it'll just continue to erode more and more. So just push through and do and do and, and feel free to reach out to me directly, Anthony at engineeringcareercoach.com. And if I can help you more, I certainly will try to do that. All right, next one here, last one for this main segment, then we'll jump into the take action segment. This one's from Gutaka Paul in Uganda. I'm a student pursuing a diploma in building and civil engineering, and I would like to study abroad. How can you help me? Well, I don't know how much I can help you other than I did study abroad. I went to school in Pennsylvania, but ended up in Brussels, Belgium for six months, which was definitely one of the best experiences of my life. I visited 13 countries across Europe, and I'm really glad I didn't listen to most of my uh, fraternity brothers that told me not to go. But as far as the actual process coming from Uganda, I can't help you too much, but what I will say is... Find someone in your school that studied abroad. I think that's a good place to start and see what the process was like. Ask them questions about it. If they went to a specific school in the U.S. or any other country you want to go to, contact that school and do your research. I mean, with the internet, there's so many things you can do to try to research it. And I think that that'll help you to try to nail it down and see wherever you want to go. Anything to add, Pat? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, Anthony. It's unbelievable what options there are in terms of pursuing additional education now with respect to the quality of education you can get anywhere in the world and the different programs that are available. One thing that I would recommend to you is, is to start with the end in mind. And, and what I mean by that is 
it's important to know what you're trying to accomplish by studying abroad. Is it that you want international experience? And if so, in what nation? Is it that you're trying to learn a new language? Or is it that you're trying to take a program that you can only get in a certain place? All of those are totally legitimate ways of traveling to pursue your education. But it's important to know what you're trying to get out of it. And what I suspect will happen is once you understand what the bigger picture is and where you'd like to end up, the natural options for you to pursue will present themselves. And that'll help you quite a bit in your decision making. All right. Now it's time to jump into our final segment of the show. All right. So now it's time for our take action today segment of the show. And this is the segment of the show where we try to kind of wrap things up from the episode and give you some actionable things that you can take and implement into your career right away. I mean, that's the point of the show, right? There's a million episodes out there, but we want you to have something actionable in each one. And we're thrilled to be able to do this Q&A series. It's something that we're happy that uh, Worcester Polytechnic Institute's MBA program is sponsoring. And I'll tell you a little bit about them in a few minutes. But let's jump into this final question here because it's an interesting one from Jeffrey from Malaysia. He's a recent graduate. Hi there, I'm a recent graduate and I'm now in the UK with a first class master's degree in mechanical engineering specializing in aerospace. I was wondering whether a dream job is just a dream after all. It's difficult to get into what industry and job you want, but how to differentiate between a dream job and a reality job. Thank you so much. So I put this one last, obviously, because there's kind of a lot to it and we're not going to dig too much in here, but I really just want to look at it from the big picture and say, personally, I think that there doesn't have to be a difference between a dream job and a reality job because the whole point of everything that we do here at the Engineering Career Coach, I know a lot of the stuff that Pat does at Engineering and Leadership is helping engineers to really realize the career that they want to have. So if that's the case, then I would hope that the career you want to have is your dream job and it can become your reality job. So I think that Maybe from what it sounds like, Jeffrey, is first of all, you're just starting out in the industry, so you, you haven't seen a lot yet. But you know, it may be something internally for you thinking that it can't happen, and that's going to be very much of a challenge for you. That's pretty much that's what you're going to have to get over. When I originally read your question, the first thing that came to mind is there's no difference between a dream job and a reality job unless you make it a difference. So my recommendation to you is focus on what you want to do no matter how big it seems or how far out there it seems, but then don't try to do it all at once. Be an engineer, put a plan in place, understand all the steps it's going to take and start to work through them. I mean, go through our podcast episodes that we've got. I walk through all of the chapters in my book in order from goal setting, finding a mentor, obtaining the right credentials, developing your communication skills, developing your networking skills, becoming a leader. All these things can add up to getting to your dream job. It may not happen overnight, but it's certainly not, in my opinion, not unattainable. Pat? Well, first of all, I just want to thank Jeffrey for the uh, for the interesting question. And I see from your notes here, Anthony, that Jeffrey's from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. Yes. Which is extra cool to me. I've worked in Kuala Lumpur. I've spent about a month of my last two years in KL. And it's a really cool spot. And I think it's awesome that you're getting questions from all the way around the world. This is, this is great. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Yeah. And... With respect to the question, Jeffrey, I absolutely think that dream jobs do exist. What I think tends to happen, though, is that people people tend to look for them in the wrong places and in the wrong way. Most people think that their dream job is going to be 
a specific job title in a specific industry and in a specific company. And that's really hard to do, right? So, you know, if you've got one company in particular that you think, you know, that's the company you want to work for and you want to be, in your case, an aerospace engineer working in a certain section at a certain, you know, if that job never becomes available, then then it would be easy to believe that dream jobs and landing them are, it's basically impossible. The way I recommend people look at it, and we've touched on this a little bit, a little bit already, is that a dream job is is a job that allows you to put your skills and strengths to work in a meaningful way. It's not about having a certain job title. It's about doing something you're really good at and having that work be meaningful. The job that I have now is a dream job. And like I said earlier, I didn't even know the job existed this time last year. And it would be it would have been very easy for me to miss the opportunity to secure this dream job if all I had been looking for is a certain job title in a certain company. So what I would recommend you do is, is take a look at what are your strengths? What are the things that you love to do? What are the things that you are really good at doing? And then work from there to think of different options for you to apply those skills and aptitudes. And the other thing that I think is really important is that you keep your eyes open as you progress through your career because you'll learn about different jobs that exist and different ways to apply those skills. I don't know about you, Anthony, but my career has absolutely not followed the path that I would have set out when I graduated. I've moved to different places. I've taken different jobs and I've worked in different environments that I never would have expected. And it's worked out wonderfully. There is a certain element of serendipity to an engineer's career and opportunities come up and if you know the kind of work and the kind of things that you want to do, then you're much more likely to find dream jobs in unlikely places. Absolutely, Pat. And and believe me, if you would have told me that I was doing half the stuff, yeah. or uh, probably 95% of the stuff that I ended up doing the last few years, I would have laughed. I mean, if you told me I had a book, I would have laughed yeah, and I would have yeah. said, you know, what, what is it, a kid's coloring book that I wrote? I mean, <laughs> and again, it starts a little bit like you think it's a dream, like it's unattainable. And then you start to realize that with the internet and everything else out there, pretty much anything is possible. I mean, we're sitting here, Pat's in Canada, I'm in the Northeastern United States, and Jeffrey is in Malaysia. And we're basically almost having this three way conversation and it's just crazy. So if that doesn't tell you that nothing's unattainable, I, don't, I really don't know what does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode today. I want to take a few minutes here to tell you about our sponsor for this pretty awesome Q&A series, which is Worcester Polytechnic Institute's MBA program, who's making this whole series possible. WPI's MBA program is part of WPI's Robert A. Foise School of Business, which specializes in equipping candidates much like yourself for an MBA experience and MBA-enabled career path. It's built on the foundations of technology and innovation. WPI's MBA program delivers a dynamic, personalized, collaborative, and supportive environment for engineers to augment their technical capabilities with business understanding, acumen, and know-how. And they do it all through a format that affords working professionals like you the opportunity to fit the program into your day and your week in a way that works for you. For more information about the program, visit business.wpi.edu or call 508-831-4665. Again, that's business.wpi.edu or call 
831-4665 and let them know that you heard about them on the Engineering Career Coach podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, or questions on just types of episodes in general, but also any specific questions that Pat and I answered. You'll be able to find the show notes for this show specifically at engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash dream job, lowercase, no spaces. Again, engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash dream job. We will list a summary of the questions that we answered in the show. We will list any resources like the books and some of the websites that Pat mentioned on courses and other items. And also we will respond to any comments or questions that you leave at the bottom of the episode show notes in the comment section. I'll make sure Pat has a link so he could jump in there as well. And we'll continue to do these, this series. Uh, We're excited about it. We want to answer your questions. Please continue to listen and send them in. And until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Pat, it was a blast having you on the show. Good luck with everything you're doing with the podcast and everything else. Uh, And I'm sure the listeners are just going to love all the, the insights you gave them tonight. Thanks, man. It's been awesome as always. This is great. All right, everyone. We'll we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.